This message comes to you from BCC, a missional, vibrant and life-bringing church in the heart of our community. For more information, go to bccweb.com. first service during the worship God really spoke to me in my family um, I really feel like I'm a matriarch I'm the oldest female in my generation and um, I feel a sense of responsibility before God to pray for my brothers and sisters my nieces and nephews to carry the baton on from my parents who have both died and to stand in that gap between um, my family and God because none of them are believers, apart from one niece and nephew and my brother-in-law from my late sister. And so I really feel that responsibility, but I feel that sense of responsibility in the church as well. And as I said in the first service, I've been here 37 years. It's a long time. And I feel that real sense of serving alongside with Mark's the fifth pastor now, watching what God's been doing, watching the opportunities God has created, watching how he has moved us on and how God has a plan and a purpose for this this space I am absolutely sure greater than anything we've ever experienced and I see how important that is and in in um, in the worship in the first service I felt God was just impressing upon me that the whole scripture where Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he said I just so long to gather to gather the people together like a hen gathers her chicks. And I feel God so wants to gather his church. You know, not just our church, but his church. That we would really become a church that rises up um, and becomes what God wants us to be in this time and in this generation. And then as we began the second service, and I watched you walk in, Shekinah, three generations of the same family sitting on that second row. And I just thought, God, this is... You know, it's so important that one day you girls will be carrying the banner for your generation. You'll be carrying the baton. You'll be the matriarchs in your family. And how important it is that not just in our families, but in church life. You know, it's not just about me and the here and now. It's about the next generation. It's about you guys standing on our shoulders and we standing on the shoulders of the people before You know, the generational thing is so important and to see our place in that. And I just feel that God was affirming that to me again in this second service, that that we shouldn't neglect that, that it's so important to find our place, to find our fit. You know, life is not about me and mine. Life is about God and his, his purposes and his plans for me being on the earth. You know, when I die, <clears throat> I want it to say something on my gravestone that will, will um, uh, em- uh, um, em- em- emphasize who I was. Not, you know, she had a widescreen television and, you know, she had a new car every three years. What's all that about? You know, it's about who we are in Christ. When my father died, my father was a man of faith, and we wrote on his gravestone, um, you know, to a father, grandfather, husband, all this kind of thing, who lived his life um, by faith, who lived his life for other, who lived his life, something like, I can't remember now, in faith, um, who gave his life for others, because he did. My father gave his life for others all the time. He was other-minded, and that sums him up. You know, he lived his life for others. He always put my mom and us before him. And he lived his life for others. What a great thing to have written on your gravestone. 
When Mark, when Mark asked me to wind up the year, which he did last year as well, it was quite interesting, but as soon as he asked me to, to, to speak today, God dropped something in my heart, immediately dropped something in my heart, and it's the fact that God is a finisher. God is a finisher. God is committed to... Anybody up there? God is committed to finishing what he starts. God is committed to finishing what he starts. God will never start something and leave it half finished. You know, many of us are starters and stallers. How many of you started something in 2014 that you wish you hadn't or you haven't finished? You know, we're starters and stallers. God is a finisher. Endings are important. And in the work that I do, endings are important. Finishing is important, coming to that place of finishing. And God is a finisher. God is committed to finishing what he has started. And one of my favorite scriptures um, is in Ecclesiastes 3. And it's this. It says, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. And even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God has planted eternity. I love that. God has put something in my heart that is drawing me towards a bigger picture, that is drawing me towards something greater than me. God has planted eternity. That word planted, it means to assign. God has assigned something into your heart which can give you a big pinch of mentality that can draw you towards towards what he wants to finish. That word planted also means to, without fail, fasten. So God has fastened something into our hearts that will not fail. It also means to be restored. So God has planted something in our hearts to restore us. But God is from the beginning and he's at the end. God is eternal. It says God is, sees the end from the beginning, not the beginning from the end. God's not standing at the beginning looking down towards the end. God is standing at the end also drawing us towards something towards his plan and purpose, towards what he wants to do, towards the bride of Christ, towards his kingdom coming on earth, toward everything that he's planned and purposed. He's drawing us like a shepherd he's gone before and he's drawing us. God has planted something in our hearts which if we can awaken by the Spirit of God will help us to see a big picture, a much bigger mentality than we have about me and mine and and everything that we bemoan. In my job at work, I have to look at how my department fits into the whole organisation. I cannot work in isolation. I cannot say, this is my department, we'll do it my way, and everybody else can suck it up or get on with us. No, my, my department has to fit into the bigger picture of the organisation. It has to fit into the strategy. It has to fit into the picture of what we're doing, the ethos of what we're doing. It has to be seamless. And in the church, it's got to be the same, that everything we do has to fit in with God's plans and purposes and his callings. And he's planted something in our hearts that will draw us toward that. And therefore, we need to understand what it is God is doing, not just corporately, but individually within the church. What he, can you recognize within you what God has put in you that's heading towards eternity? God has planted something in there. God is plan is for salvation. God's plan is to establish his kingdom. God's plan is to restore that which was lost, isn't it? 
And God's plan, he says, he came to destroy the works of the evil one. Um, <clears throat> we can have all the plans we like, but if they don't fit into God's plans, then they're plans in vain. And God wants us to line up with what he's doing. God has every intention of finishing what he started. And in fact, God has finished what he started. And if we want to look back over this year in 2014, if I were to sum up what I think the year 2014 has been about in BCC, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, I would say that 2014 has been a year of repositioning the church. We've been repositioning ourselves, reorganizing ourselves towards the plans and purposes of God. And I think one of the things that's been the greatest influence on our repositioning this year has been the Wednesday night prayer meetings. Mark is absolutely right when he said prayer is where the power is. And this is not a moan about you if you don't come on Wednesdays, because I know some people just can't come on Wednesdays. But what I want to say to you is where is your desire for prayer? Because there are many people who could come that don't come. And I think the biggest influence that we've had over this year on the way things have changed has been that Wednesday night of prayer. When we gather together, when we cry out to God, when we praise and we worship and we, we, we bring to God the needs of the church and what he's doing. I think that's been one of our biggest influences in what we're doing. We've sought also in this year, in 2014, to put Jesus at the centre. Jesus has got to be at the centre Everything we build has got to be on the chief cornerstone. And one of my prayers, and these guys know this, one of my prayers around the church has been for many years, and even so much in 2014, God, don't let us build anything that's not built on you. I'm not interested in building anything. I'm not interested in building a reputation. I'm not interested in building big numbers even. I'm not interested in building anything that is not built on the chief cornerstone. We haven't got time to be doing that anymore. We can only build on the chief cornerstone. We need to see what God is doing. So God, don't let us be distracted into doing anything else. One of the things that's been lurking in my mind all year and keeps coming back to me is about... No, that's fine. It's, it's not that. Um, <clears throat> is about my longevity here. God has reminded me about that many, many times over this year. And I keep asking God, why, why are you bringing that into my focus? And I think it's because God is saying he's not finished here. He's not finished here. Um, and that he's got more that he wants to do. But he wants to align us. He wants to align us. And he wants us to be aligned with his purposes and with his opportunities. So what else have we done this year here? Well, Mark has already said we've seen many people respond to the gospel. We've seen many people respond in their hearts. And we've, we've seen many people baptised, more people baptised and responded than I think we've seen for many, many years in this place. Now, what is that saying? That is a sign that God is moving. You know, people's hearts are being stirred by the Spirit of God. Therefore, God is doing something in this place. What does that say? It says God is entrusting us. God is entrusting us with more people. So we've gone to two services. I know we're not full today, but it's people are away. But So now we're making space. We haven't gone to two services because we like doing everything twice. Trust me, we don't. We don't. It's exhausting. I will have to have a little nap this afternoon. 
It is exhausting doing everything twice. We're not doing it for that. We're doing it because we're creating space for more people because we believe God is entrusting us with more people and therefore we need to do that. So what have we else have we done this year? Well, we've looked at every department. We've looked at this building. It isn't going to it's not going to do us for too much longer and we've looked at every department and we've looked at everything we do and we're beginning to reposition ourselves to ensure that we're doing what God wants us to do I think one of the biggest things we've re-looked at is Hope Foundation this year and it's been a great opportunity to recreate something recreate what does God want us to do in our outreach We've been going out into Macedonia, some of you. I think one of the most amazing things about that is not what you've done for them, but actually what they've done for you. Because everybody who's been out there has come back different. You know, when we step out and do something outside of our comfort zone, outside of our world, outside of you, me and mine, it actually impacts us and it changes us. And it's been a great thing. We're beginning to look up and we're beginning to look out. Um, We've intentionally taught across the year intentionally the guys sit down and plan what it is we're going to teach the church the whole purpose of a teacher is to build up the body of Christ my whole purpose and reason for being here and standing here and doing this is because uh, the purpose of a teacher is to build up the body of Christ and bring it to maturity so Sunday mornings are about that it's about helping us as a group of people to grow and to mature and to become what God wants us to be so now here's a little test for you Between January and May, what did we teach on? Oh, I'm glad you were all listening. (laughs) It was a worthwhile series, that one. January to May, we taught on identity, mistaken identity. Well done. I must quickly flick through their notes. We, we spent five months, four months, talking about our identity, who we are in Christ. The whole purpose of that was to try and cement something in us that was new, that, that would stand us firm, our identity. And then from May until September, we talked about what? Who was here between May and September? <laughs> Values, values, hooray. It's so worthwhile, isn't it? (laughs) So we talked about values. So we talked about values. (laughs) Thank you. And we talked about reproducing disciples, reproducing disciples, didn't we? Yeah? And we said that that was the whole purpose. Of, of reproducing ourselves in other people, of walking a journey with other people. And we identified these six areas of values. And we said, actually, that values are... Um, we said values are m- the moral and unchangeable foundational principles that support everything we do. The moral and unchangeable principles... Uh, foundational principles that support everything we do. We should remember these. We should remember those things which are our underpinning um, in life and the things that we value because they will help to hold us firm. We talked about determined devotion to God and activating spiritual disciplines, relentlessly loving people, increasing generosity, being naturally innovative and growing compassion. We talked about daring to be different, didn't we? We spent weeks and weeks on this because we wanted to put some foundation in. Um, And then from September to November, we talked about what? 
Hooray! Movement and multiplication. <laughs> we took the first seven books of Acts, didn't we? And we talked about what the church was like in the New Testament. Um, <clears throat> all of that was intentional. And then in December, in this last month, we've been talking about believing. Setting you up ready for next year uh, for a better life. Um, and I'm sure that's going to be um, very exciting. We intentionally look, <clears throat> look at what we're doing. I'm very much a person who lives by intention. Because if we don't live by intention, we live by default. And I haven't got enough life left to live by default anymore. I have to live by intention. And ensure that what I do is what I mean to do and what I want to do. Um, because if we don't have some kind of intention and plan where we're going and what we're doing, uh, we will live by default and our default mode um, won't really get us where we want to be in God. So <clears throat> I think one of the most incredible facts that I heard this year, which I, keep, I think about over and over and I can't get away from in the bigger picture of God's plan and purposes, is the number of people there are on the earth. This year in 2014, supposedly the seventh billion person was born. Uh, and the interesting thing that I, you might not find this interesting, but I don't know why it's so impressed on me, but I find it very interesting that up until about 200 years ago, there was only one billion people on the earth. But in the last 200 years, we've gone from one to seven billion. That's a lot of people. And there's a lot of chaos on the earth. But Jesus said the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. We've been put on the earth for such a time as this, I believe. We have. We're here for such a time as this. David said he wanted to serve the purposes of God in his generation, and I do too. Why, God, have you put us around in this time when there are so many people on the earth, so many people that need Christ, so many people that need to know freedom and need to know a way of salvation? I think it's an important thing for the church. And God wants us to rise up in that. He said it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of Christ. This might have been a really awful year for you. This might have been a year of sorrow. It might have been a year of sadness. It might have been a year of loss. You might have lost your job. You might have had problems in your family. You might have had all sorts of difficulties. And this, week, this year, you might just be can't wait for Thursday and to put this whole year behind you. I've had years like that, but I haven't had that in 2014. 2014 has been a great year for me, and it may have been a great year for you. I've got so much to thank God for. I've got so much to praise God for. I've had my eyes open to things. I've been closer to God. I've walked with God. It's been a great year, and, and I'm thankful for that. But whatever you've been through this year, one thing we do know, and Hebrews tells us, is that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And you might be thinking, how on earth have, can what I've been through this year actually work towards my good? But one thing I've really realised this year very much is that everything that we go through in life is, creates an opportunity. And no matter how good or how bad what we go through, it creates an opportunity. And it creates an opportunity for me to love more or for me to forgive more or for me to trust more, or for me to seek God more, 
or for me to learn not to do the same thing over and over again. Everything we go through in life creates an opportunity. Perhaps being a nurse, I'm signed up to lifelong learning because we have to. But I always want to learn. I always want to change. I always want to grow. I always want to know how I can do better in something. And everything we go through in life creates an opportunity for us. And we can grasp that opportunity. And we can allow it to move us on in God. God doesn't waste anything. Nothing that we've been through in our life, whether it's a mistake or whether it's been what we've considered to be the right thing, is a mistake in God's eyes. God will use everything. God will use everything that we've been through to shape us, to mould us, to help us and to move us on. And it took me quite a long time in my life to realise that my whole life is made up of mistakes as well as good things. But that's what's made me. That's what's made me who I am. And so we know that God will use all things according to his purpose. If we only see in the here and now, if we only look at me and my and my position, we will very often be navel-gazing. We'll have our head down. It'll all be about me. It'll all be about my issues and my problems, what I've got and what I haven't got. And God has told us not to look down, but to look where? To look up. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. And whether we're looking down or whether we're looking up, wherever we're looking, we're going to get a totally different perspective on things. If I look down, I'm going to see something very different to if I look up. And the perspective that we have on 2015 and what's coming ahead will determine what it looks like for you and how it's going to pan out for you. And I want to just this morning, in the time that we've got left, I just want to bring two things to you. I want, to ask, I want us to ask ourselves two questions before we move into 2015 because I think it's really important. I feel like there's a bit of mopping up to do. Um, <clears throat> When I came in this morning, someone said to me, are you going to give us a good sort yourself out sermon this morning? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So here it comes, okay? (laughs) If that's what I'm known for, put it on my gravestone. Um, So the two things I want us to think about this morning, just as a kind of mopping up from the end of last, from the end of this year to move into next year. You know, in God's eternal plan, he sets out to restore all things to himself. He wants to restore and to realign things and his desire for the church and for the world. He wants that to grow in us. He wants to give us, he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. He hung on the cross and he declared, it is finished. God's done his bit. God hasn't got any more to do. The only thing God's got left to do in Jesus Christ is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, intercessing for the saints. God prays for us. Jesus prays for us. He's done everything else. We've sung it this morning. Great worship, Adam, thank you. We've sung it this morning. God has done everything. It is finished. God has completed everything that he needs and wants to do. He now needs the church to come in line with everything that he's laid out for the church. And we have a responsibility. I can't get away from the fact that scripture says the bride made herself ready. We're the bride of Christ. 
And for those of you who've got married, you will know that on that great day, you got yourself ready. You got up in the morning and you went to the hairdressers or wherever you went to. I haven't had this experience, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> and you got up, I'm making myself ready in a totally different way. You got up and you made yourself ready and you presented yourself. And I bet you did everything you could to make yourself look your most beautiful. I think a bride always looks so beautiful, radiant on her wedding day. It's a beautiful day. Church, we are the bride of Christ. He wants us to make ourselves ready. He wants us to position ourselves in that sense spiritually for him. Jesus, when he said it is finished, he said it is accomplished. He said it is concluded. I think this next year is going to be a a continuation of of our positioning ourselves. So a couple of things I want to bring to your attention this morning, just so you can sort yourselves out, okay? (laughs) When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, it wasn't just to rescue them from their oppressors. He took them out of something to take them into something. There's no such thing as no man's land in God. If God brings you out of something, he brings you out to take you in. And God has got something he wants to take us into if he's going to bring us out. And when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out on the basis of the shed blood of the Passover lamb. So the blood was shed and it was put on the doorpost so when the angel of death passed over, they, it didn't, they didn't die but they were released from their oppressors and allowed to leave Egypt. Now Egypt speaks to us of the world and we know that the precious blood of Christ, Calvary covers it all. We sung it this morning, Calvary covers it all. That precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for us enables us to get out of the world. To, to break free from the power that the world has over us. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, the Bible says. And therefore, that precious blood of Christ shed at Calvary has released us from the world in the same way that the children of Israel were released out of Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. But God didn't take them out to leave them in the wilderness. He took them out to take them into the promised land, didn't he? That was his purpose. When they came to come to the promised land, they sent in 12 spies and the 12 spies came back with two different perspectives. 10 of the 12 said, they looked with their natural eye and they said, we just can't do this. There's giants, there's this, there's that. We can't possibly do that because everything will be against us and we will be defeated. But two of the 12, two of the 12 saw something different. They saw the same thing, but they interpreted it differently. And they saw nothing in the promised land that was bigger than God. And I want to say to us, you know, this morning, one of the questions I want us to ask ourselves is, how big is your God? How big is your God? Because look into 2015, if all you can see is problems and troubles and difficulties, you're looking with the wrong eyes. If nothing you can see in your world is bigger than God, then 2015 is going to be a great year. There's a friend of mine at work and she talks to me, uh, we have some really good spiritual discussions and she talks to me about her, how she likes to medicate, meditate, medicate, <laughs> perhaps she does like to medicate, I don't know, um, <clears throat> how she likes to meditate and she, <laughs> she tells me when she meditates she likes to empty herself. 
And I said, when I meditate, I like to fill myself. And I fill myself with God. Because if I empty myself, who knows what might hop in. I want to fill myself. I want to fill myself with God so that all I can see is God. So that everything I see in the world is through Jesus. If, I, if he is so big that he fills all my vision, then I have to look through him to every situation and circumstance, whether it's at work, whether it's in my family, whether it's in the church, wherever it is. If God fills my view, then I have to look through Jesus to see what I'm going to see. I want to challenge you for 2015. What's filling your view? How big is your God? Jesus said he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Do you believe that? Do you really? Did you believe that last year? You know, I truly believe that we only really believe what we walk in. You can say you believe in all sorts of things. You only really believe what you're willing to stand on, what you're willing to walk in. That's what you really believe. God says he will do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Is he big enough in your mind, in your world, in your heart, in your spirit? Is he big enough for that in your world? We need to be looking through. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Well, if we really do, then we need to walk in it. It's like the songs we sing. We can sing them every week. You can sing them over and over. You know them. You can sing them, but you don't believe them. We don't walk in them. There has to be a move from our head to our heart that we're actually really willing to walk in that, that we're actually really willing to believe that. Otherwise, we're just playing church. I think one of the things we've seen in 2014, which is a shift, is we've seen a good number of people healed. Now, why did that happen? Because we were willing to put our feet in the water. Say, come here, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe that God is... And we put our money where our mouth is and we actually actioned what we believed. You know, 2015 needs to be a year where we're going to action what we believe instead of paying lip service to what we believe. If we really, if we really, really um, looked at what we walk in in terms of our belief, I think our beliefs would shrink enormously and I include myself in that. Because it's lip service to say we believe something that we don't actually walk in. It's lip service to say, I believe that chair will hold my weight, but I'm never going to sit on it. That's basically what we're doing. It's lip service to say, I can drive Mark's car out there, but I never get the keys. (laughs) You know, we pay lip service to a lot of things. Yes, I can. Yes, I believe. Yes, I can. Yes, I will. But we never actually do it. We never actually move in it. I think that has to change for all of us. So how big is your God is my first question that I want you to take away. My second question is this. In 2 Kings, we read about the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how he captured Jerusalem and he took the children of Israel into captivity. And in Psalm 137, you'll read, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So the children of Israel were taken into captivity through a cycle of obedience and disobedience that went round and round, and they ended up in captivity. Babylon speaks to us of captivity. Egypt speaks to us of the world. Babylon speaks to us about captivity. I don't think I've been more acutely aware than I have been for many years, as I have been in 2014, about how many people live in captivity. I think much of the church lives in captivity. 
people that I talk to, people that I counsel. In my work world, I've probably added around 200 people to my world this year through mass recruitment and through other things that I've been involved in. I've had contact with many, many people who are in captivity, many, many people who are bound and held down and held back. And I think that I've seen it a lot in the church, but this year, for some reason, I don't know why, I seem to have had a, a, a real dose of it, as it were, coming across many, many people who were held captive and who were held back. I think if there were one thing that I could highlight about why I think people are held back, I would say it's believing lies about themselves. Believing lies about themselves. I can't do this, I'm no good. And believing lies about what they think other people think of them. It's quite phenomenal. If, have any of you, do any of you know the story of Gulliver's Travels? Any of you know that story? Gulliver was a full-size man who went to Lilliput. It's not true, by the way. Uh, and it's not in the Bible. <clears throat> and he went to Lilliput and he came across little people who were very little. Um, and he was a giant and they were all little and the only way they could capture him was when he was asleep and he was lying down on the beach was to pin him down with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little ropes. And if you can visualise that picture, if you've read the child... The, 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 the children's story of Gulliver, you'll see him lying down and he's full. He's got lots of little ropes over his arms, over his legs, over his body, and he's pinned down by hundreds of little ropes. But each little rope on their own couldn't hold him down. It needed a lot. And I see that. I see many people like that held down by lies. Held down by lies about themselves, lies that they've been fed to, lies about all sorts of things, and things that bind them and hold them down. Not just people out there in the world, people in the church. You know, held captive by fears and anxieties and worries and concerns. We say we believe God's given us everything for life and godliness, but we're not walking in it. The biggest thing that people are walking in, I think, is fear. Fear is, is the devil's way of preventing people from rising up to be who they are. Did you know that fear is not a spiritual gift? It's not. It's not. But people are full of fear. Fear that I won't get a job. Fear that I'll lose my job. Fear that I won't have enough money for retirement. Fear that, fear that this, fear that that. Even down to fear of spiders and fear of mice and fear of all sorts of things that absolutely petrify people. There's one girl I work with who, because we go into people's homes, she's terrified of mice. She breaks out in a sweat. She sees a mouse, and she's saying, don't send me into any house that's got a mouse in. I'm saying, I don't know which houses have got mice in. <laughs> you know, I really don't. You know, I can't promise you that I'll never send you into a house that's got a mouse in it. You know, get over it. But it's a very real thing. <laughs> she breaks out in a sweat. What a way to live your life. Gosh, don't go and live in New York. <laughs> End up with a heart attack. It's full of mice and rats. <laughs> You know, people are filled with fear. The church, the church, seriously. People in the church filled with fear, filled with anxiety, fear, f um, fearful, worrying, anxious, frightened. That's not the kind of life that God's called us to. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundant. And we need to hide ourselves in him. Um, so my second question to you this morning then is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What drives you in the fear realm? 
What are you afraid of? What's pinning you down? What's holding you captive? What is slowing you down and what is stopping you from doing what God has called you to do? I felt God really saying to me when I was preparing this that, you know, for some people we hide from our fear because we think if we just ignore it, it'll go away. But it won't. Fear is something that has to be denied a place in your life. We have to say there's no room for fear in my life. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So where's it come from? If it hasn't come from God, it can only have come from the enemy. And anything that comes from the enemy is to do us harm. And we have to deny it a place. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I can claim that and I can declare that. Thank you, God, for my sound mind. Sometimes at work, the girls get a bit over the top when, we, when I forget something and they say, oh, early Alzheimer's. Um, and I just say, no, absolutely not. It is not. Let me declare to you now. It is not early Alzheimer's. God has given me a sound mind. And I'm going to keep my sound mind, thank you very much. And they kind of look at me. (laughs) God has given me a sound mind. There's no room for fear when it comes to things like that. Um, uh, Jeremiah 29 says this, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and to give you a hope. In those days when you pray, what does God say? I will listen. When you pray, God says, I will listen. And if you look to me wholeheartedly, you will what? Find me. If you're looking for God this morning, he's already looking for you. If you want God to hear you, he's already got his ear open. He says, if you pray, if you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me, you will find me. And church, there is an onus on us if we want to move on and we want things to move on in our life to seek God. God has already done his part. God has already finished it. When you pray, God says, I will listen. Think about that. When you pray, God says, I will listen. How many people would like to be listened to? Yeah? Well, God's standing there like this. He's saying, when you pray, I will listen. When you talk to me, I'm listening. An opportunity there, as Mark said earlier, God loves all the time. It's not conditional on what you've done, whether you've been bad, whether you've been good, whether you've failed, whether you've succeeded. It's not conditional. God says, when you pray, when you talk to me, I'm going to be listening. I'm listening. An opportunity to pour your heart out to God. It's my open prayer in the coming year that we're going to rise to the challenge that God is setting out before us. So why am I saying all this then? Why does it matter? Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the people who lived in Egypt were believers. You can live in Egypt, you can be a believer. They had their prayer meetings, they had their, their worship, they still had all those things, but they lived in oppression. But they still had all those things. You can be a believer, you can live in the world, you can be half-hearted, you can come on a Sunday, you can have a mediocre kind of Christian life and still be in the world. You can live in Babylon and be a Christian 
They still had their worship services. They had their, their harps down by the river. They sung, they worshipped, they had their prayer meetings. You can live in Babylon. You can still live in captivity if you want to. And you can still be a believer. And you can still live that life that you're living now. But if you want to possess the land, if you want the fullness of God in your life, then you have to live in the promised land. Because you cannot possess a land that you don't live in. You have to live in the land. You have to live in the promises of God. You have to live in the truth of God's word. You have to be walking it out in your day-to-day work, in your day-to-day life, in order to know the fullness of God, in fullness of God in our lives. All that God wants for us, all that God wants to accomplish in us is found in the promised land. He took them out of oppression. He took them out of the world to take them into something that was different, something that was promised. If we want what God wants us to have, we have to be in that promised land. You'll never possess what God has for you in Egypt or in Babylon. You will only find it in the promised land. And if you're not living there, you can't possess it. God says he wants us to have it. He wants us to walk in it. But we have to position ourselves. And I believe God, in planting eternity in our hearts, is drawing us and calling us, come, come, leave the world, leave the captivity, leave Egypt, leave Babylon, and come into the promised land where I can give you everything I've got ready for you. To take me to possession means to have, to live in freedom, to live without fear, trusting in him, but seeing him build the church. So I love nothing more than seeing people's lives changed. I absolutely get so excited when I see people's lives changed because there's only one person in the world who can change people's hearts and lives and it's Jesus Christ. When I see people's lives change, I rejoice because they've moved from something to something. They've moved out of darkness into light. They've moved out of what was holding them back into something that has set us free. You know, we're called to be co-laborers with Christ. We're called to work with him. We're called... We cannot walk in something and bring someone else into something that you've never been into yourself. The Bible says a blind, if a blind man leads a blind man, they walk into a pit. If we want to re- reproduce disciples, we've got to be there ourselves. You can't take someone to a place you've never been. You've got to walk a journey with them. We've got to be moving ahead. We've got to be leading the way so that others can follow. Everything we do has got to have Jesus at the centre. God wants us restored. God wants us whole. God wants us healthy. God wants to use us. And I'm going to finish with the scripture in Philippians 1. It says, being confident of this. Take this church as the last thing that's said on a sermon on a Sunday in 2014. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has not given up on you. God is determined to see through the work that he started in you. God is asking you to call on him. He's asking you to pray. He's ready to listen. He's asking you to talk of him, to him. Be confident of this church, that the very thing that God begun in you, he will complete and he'll never give up on. Amen.